Welcome to the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church. We hope our broadcast will bless you. John chapter 1, starting in verse 12, we'll read 12 to 14. And it reads, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of the blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Happy Sabbath from Strong Tower Radio. It's good to be here. It has been a little while. And it's good to be a little closer to home. In the last four of the last five weeks, I've spent in Canada and the Upper Peninsula. So this feels a lot closer. And it's good to be here. Lots of things happening with Strong Tower Radio, most important of which people are tuning in, many for the first time. And they are hearing truth, and it is captivating their minds. And... I want to tell you about a few of those experiences. There is a listener in the Battle Creek, Kalamazoo area, who in about the middle of the COVID experience was listening and seeking for something better on the radio and just happened to discover one of the more new Strong Tower Radio channels, WMJC 91.9 in Richland, and began listening and heard things very new. Opened the Word of God, found these things were true, are true. And this listener had already been looking, searching in different churches for a church that would teach all of the Word of God and kept encountering after a time some or several things that the church taught or did that were not in harmony with Scripture. said, no, this is not where I need to be. And then COVID had come along and there weren't any churches available and this listener just got out of the habit of going to church at all. And one day... Within the past year, this listener decided, I'm going to find a church. I need fellowship. Are you going with me, God? So this listener got in the car and started driving all over town all day. Battle Creek, Kalamazoo area, there's a lot of churches. All day. By late, it was a Friday, and by mid-afternoon, a little tiring. The Lord had not directed any particular church that this listener had driven by. There was no impression. Driving by the Seventh-day Adventist church. Now, this is a a good-sized church, and there was a parking lot in behind. Not intending to stop, got no impression, just about to drive by, All of a sudden, something happened. 
And this listener describes it as, I was driving past the church parking, or church entryway, and all of a sudden I find myself in a parking space looking at the back of the church. I look forward, I look down at my, at my gauge on my car, and the car shuts off. I have no explanation, this listener said, of how this happened. But I immediately looked up and said, Lord, is this where you want me to go? And where is this place? Looks up at the sign, Seventh-day Adventist Church. They keep the Sabbath. That's one of the things I'm looking for in a church. It's Friday afternoon. This listener says, I'm coming back here tomorrow. Car starts right back up and this listener drives home, shows up the next day, has a wonderful experience. Here's the word of God preached clearly. The people greet her with almost, you could say, enthusiasm. Sometimes visitors feel a little overwhelmed. And this listener says, this is what I've been looking for all my life. And about a couple months ago, at a communion service, this listener testified and said, I'm here for the long haul. And we're, I talked with the pastor at the church where she's attending recently. I spoke with him and he says she is studying with an elder and his wife and is preparing for baptism and is increasingly enthusiastic, a fire plug for Jesus. And so, praise the Lord, this listener found what they were looking for on Strong Tower Radio. And we heard from another member of another church in the central Michigan area who said, we just had a person come through the door who made this statement. I've been listening to Strong Tower Radio for over three years. I decided to do something about it, and here I am and has been attending ever since and pursuing Bible studies as well. And it's an uphill battle because they are at this point alone in their family in this interest. And that's not a unique situation, whether among Strong Tower Radio listeners or any person who comes to the faith they often face what feels like a very solitary experience. But as Jesus said, I am not alone, my Father is with me. So even when the world abandons us, Christ is here always for us. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Just this past week, or the just latter part of the prior week, we received a call from a pastor of another Protestant church who had just heard a powerful message at, on the 11 o'clock hour in the morning on Fresh Manna. This pastor called up and said, I want the contact information of the pastor who preached this sermon. There is so much I heard in this message I want to share with my congregation, and I needed to hear it too. And I spoke with that pastor, and he says, yes, that other pastor called, and we had a good conversation. And he's continuing to be blessed and will indeed share that message with his congregation. And so these are just some of the 
and encounters and the calls and the interactions that we've had with people who continue their discovering Strong Tower Radio, they're receiving a blessing from what they're hearing as the Holy Spirit reaches them through the broadcast. And they hear the word of truth in many cases as they've never heard it before. And that's not to say anything great about us who work at Strong Tower Radio. We're just privileged to be able to offer this to the listeners and to be faithful. We're called to faithfulness and God takes care of the results. And so all glory goes to him who is reaching people through the broadcast. Now we know of at least 125 people who have not only been reached with the signal, but have made decisions for Jesus Christ moving forward to become a part of this movement to prepare a people for the return of Jesus Christ. There are many more who are still working through those decisions and studying and preparing and exploring, learning who God really is. Because in the Christian world, there are many teachings that distort the character of God. And He is not beautiful in the estimation with these doctrines. When you look at the picture, it's a twisted picture of who God is. And we want to proclaim the character of God in clarity so that everyone can see this is who God is. As Philip and the disciples learned when Philip asked, Lord, show us the Father. What did Jesus say? Have you been with me this long and you're still asking to see the Father? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And may we each, as we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, be the character of God, the Jesus that people are needing to see. Because Jesus says, while He is in the world, He is the light of the world. That's in John eight twelve, And He also says, when He's not in the world, then we are to be the light of the world. And the only way that you and I can be lights in the world is if we are full of Jesus Christ. Because of ourselves, we are not lights. Only by being filled with Jesus are we able to be lights to the world. And so I thank you for the many of you who are energetic prayer and financial supporters of Strong Tower Radio. You have a much larger reach than you realize. Because Strong Tower Radio does not exist for itself. It exists to be a tool in your hands to reach far beyond your immediate neighborhood to a much larger neighborhood and region that is hungering and thirsting for who God is, what He has to offer, looking for identity, value, and purpose. And we have... Several ways, simple ways that you can help share that with people. There are sharing cards. They're little two by three business cards. And you can simply, whether you knock on a door, that's a reason to knock on a door and say, I listen to this radio station and I've been blessed by it. I wanted to share it with you. Or you can do that 
in the store, at the gas station, in the bank, when you're stuck in line somewhere. There are also bookmarks that you can place within books that you share. And that's another way to connect people with the broadcast. And if they're out of broadcast range, there's also web streaming. And so thank you for your enthusiastic support and sharing of Strong Tower Radio with those around you because the world is hungry. Many of them just don't know what for yet. And so as I delve into the word of the Lord with you before I move forward, it is imperative that I ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance So if you would bow your heads with me as I kneel. Father, I come to you as one in need of bread to feed your people. I do not have it myself. It is found in your word and I ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance to rightly divide that word and ask that you speak through me and that I not be seen, but that only you be seen and heard. May we be blessed and strengthened for the week ahead because we are here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have you noticed that the world is experiencing an increasing identity crisis? Before I was even born, and perhaps many of you, we saw how Marriage and the home in increasingly less subtlety has been attacked throughout the last hundred years, made fun of, put down. And then the purpose and calling of husbands and fathers and wives and mothers have been either mocked or confused, belittled, and redefined or attempting to redefine them. And then we saw increasing exploitation of abuse and the encouragement to go in a different direction. You've suffered trauma and pain. Go this way instead of the way you are. And from marriages that are unbiblical, being sanctioned. Now, self is never content with going only to a certain level and stopping. There is no limit. The world wants to live Romans 1, where you go from flying to crawling to brute beasts. And this is what we're seeing promoted increasingly. And now, you even have... You can be whoever you say, regardless of what you really are. And laws are being passed, even in this country, that are saying you cannot contend with what someone says they are. If they say they're this, you have to accept that as reality, even if you don't believe it or know it's not true. And what did we find in Paul's writings to believe it was Timothy where he says that we, anyone who follows God, will be made an offender for a word. And we're seeing that happening before our very eyes. And you can encourage people 
to go one direction towards confusion, but now there are laws that are saying you cannot encourage them to go back to truth and the way, the truth about who God made them to be. And we may look at this from a distance, our safe zone, if you will, within the walls of this church, within the walls of our home, and say, well, I can't do anything about that. Friends, if we are going to remain silent about this, which is blatantly untrue, how will we have any courage or basis to say anything when we are told you can no longer worship on Sabbath, you must worship on a day of our choosing? We must give the trumpet a certain sound. And in the verse that we heard this morning read, what was Jesus filled with? Was it just truth? No, it was grace and truth. And as we've been studying in the lesson, Ephesians 4.32 reminds us that we are to speak the truth in love. And what we need to understand is how did Jesus do that? How did he live that way? Because you and I tend to be drawn to those who are of like mind. We're comfortable with people who are like us. And there are certain benefits to that. It's not an evil thing. What did Jesus t tell us in Hebrews through the Apostle Paul? Assemble together on a regular basis, especially as you see the day of Christ approaching. And that iron sharpens iron, Proverbs 27, 17. So a man's countenance, so a man's word sharpen the countenance of his friend. And so we are to come together and like-minded believers to strengthen one another. Because if we do not press together and towards the throne of God, we will be brought into difficult places tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And so we see where the world is going. We see how this is prophetically laid out in Scripture. And we also see in John 8.32 where Jesus says, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. What is the context of that freedom? Freedom from the power of sin. Because when you look between John 8.32 and John 8.36, Jesus makes the statement, He who is a servant of sin is a slave of sin. And the truth, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. He will make you free. And so... We want to be free, and we also want to address the reality that while we are to gather together with like-minded believers, there is also the tendency of human nature to avoid those who are different from us, even to fear and resent them and want and oppose them. Jesus set a different example he gave us a different way to approach life. And I want to look at a couple examples of how Jesus was unafraid 
to reach out and touch those who were not viewed kindly by society, even those in authority, and how he was able to do that. Let's start in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verses 13. Excuse me, Luke 13, verses 10 through 17. Luke 13, starting with verse 10. And there we find that Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath day. So here we have the setting. He's in church on Sabbath teaching. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no way or no wise lift up herself. So this is someone who comes into church and they're stooped over to the point that they can't walk straight. They have to tilt up their neck to even have a conversation with someone. And that limits what this woman is able to do. It affects all her relationships and functionality. And when Jesus saw her, verse 12, he called her to him and said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. But he didn't stop with words. Verse 13, and he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. That bent back, Suddenly, he puts his hand on her and she straightens up and her range of motion and strength and functionality is restored. Now, picture that happening here. Would we not have great joy and rejoicing at witnessing such an event? But notice what happens here. The ruler of the synagogue, verse 14, he's indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said to the people, so he's watching what this what happened. He's indignant. He sees the response and he says to the people, there are six days which men ought to work. In them come and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. Now is Jesus going to let that one go? Many times things are said, Jesus didn't go chase them down and straighten them out. But what do we find in Spirit of Prophecy? This illustrates a principle. We are told that Public sin must be publicly addressed. And this happened in a public place. So Jesus addressed it publicly in verse 15. And he says, Hypocrite, do not each one of you on the Sabbath day loose his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. So here we have Jesus breaking through a number of misunderstandings. There is the idea in his time, and this is true, people view this in places even today, that those who have disabilities and disabilities and injuries are cursed of God. And this was the mindset that this leader had, and this was so prevalent that people generally in Israel viewed someone who had an injury, a disability, as cursed of God. And we find this mindset manifested and illustrated in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, where the disciples are walking by, 
a man born blind, and they ask Jesus a question. In essence, they're challenging what they've been taught, but in a way that is affirming to what they've been taught. Notice what they say. Saw the man blind from birth, verse 2, chapter 9. His disciples ask him, Master, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? This reflects the mindset of the day, friends. Everyone thought this man born blind, somebody, either he or his family, sinned. And this is what God did to them because of their sin. There was this punitive mindset, this punitive picture of God that he was just looking for people to twist and injure because they were not in harmony with him, ignoring the hundreds, even one over 1,000 years of history with Israel, how God bore long with rebellion after rebellion. And instead of wiping them out, he took them on a mission trip to Babylon. And it helped some, but it didn't help enough. And they just went in a different ditch. And so he comes to his own, and his own receive him not. Yet there were some who did. And Jesus says in verse 3, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents. That's not why this happened. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him. We're told that time and chance happen to all in Ecclesiastes 7. And we understand from the book of Job that we are in a battlefield. And sin is the result of... Uh, it's accumulated in its effects. The earth is waxing old as a garment and we're waxing old with it. Every generation has more decline and we see it manifested in our daily lives as we look around. And so Jesus says, this man has this experience, yes, because of sin in the world, but now it's to manifest the glory of God and he healed him. But it's that mindset when we go back to Luke 13. The ruler of the synagogue was looking at this woman as one who had been cursed of God. And notice how Jesus responds to correct this lie. He says, Should not this daughter of Abraham, who has been bound 18 years, not by who you think, but by Satan, be loosed on the Sabbath day? Boom, boom, boom. He's addressing all these misunderstandings with clarity. And he's not afraid to touch those who are viewed poorly by those around them. Now let's look at John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we find Jesus is waiting at a well at a Samaritan town. They've been traveling, and the disciples go into town to get food, and this lady comes out in the heat of the day because she didn't want to encounter anybody else because she had an unfavorable reputation, and she wanted to avoid interactions with anyone else. And there Jesus is sitting at the well, and... This Samaritan woman comes up and he asks for a drink. And what is she, how does she respond? She's rather taken aback. This lady from Sychar, 
And here in verse 9 of John 4, it says, Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So this lady has a couple things that she's surprised by. Jesus has just by speaking with her broken across two barriers. The barrier of ethnicity and the barrier of gender. Generally, you didn't talk to someone of another gender unless their spouse or their parent was there. He went right across those two lines without even being concerned at all. And this lady says, hey, how, how is it that you're talking with me at all? I'm not expecting this. And what is Jesus' response? He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me to drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. And she confuses spiritual principles with physical and says, how are you going to give me this water? You don't even have anything to draw water with. And Jesus answers her and says, whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again, this water in the well of Jacob that you're so proud of. But whosoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst, but the water that I will give him will be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And this got her attention. She's like, okay, sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come here to draw. She saw an avenue of a way to stop coming to the well, she thought, still mixing spiritual and physical. And Jesus realizes she's ready for something. And so he says to her, go, call your husband and come here. Now, why did he do that? He's testing her, yes, but notice he's not going to assume that she has no husband. He's not going to treat her as one who has a poor reputation. He instead says, go call your husband. I'm not looking at you as a woman of ill repute. I'm looking at you as someone who is of high reputation. He's also honoring the creation order. If you look at Numbers 30, fathers and husbands have the right to override a vow that their daughter or wife takes in the day they hear of it. If she's going to take the living water, her husband is going to have to be involved. And so he's honoring creation order. He's honoring her, putting her as a person of good reputation, though she is not. And the whole thing is communicating and setting the table for what is going to follow. And that is a clear revelation of his deep love for her. The value that he gives to her because watch what happens. She says, I have no husband. Now, we would look at that and say, okay, Jesus, let's let it go. Give her the living water and move on. No, no, no. Jesus does not 
He says, come as you are. He's not going to leave you there. And if you have something that is controlling your life, he's going to ask for it. And here he says, you have well said that you have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. Wow. Off comes the masquerade. Off comes any pretense. It's like standing there naked almost. And yet she sees something. Even though Jesus knows everything about her, he still looks at her with value. And that is something she's never seen before. Men have looked at her with impure intent, and Jesus looks at her with pure intent, transmitting value like she's never seen. Yet it's still a little bit too good to be true in her mind, and she switches, diverts the conversation to something prophetic. She says, I think you're a prophet, so answer this question. And she goes a different way, and Jesus goes there with her, gives her an answer about true worship. And then we find in verse 25, because she goes back and forth with him with a couple of statements. And then he says that God, here in verse 24, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Verse 23, the hour comes and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such to worship him. It's not about place. It's about who you worship, who are you following, are you living by the word of God? And she has no answer of her own argument. Instead, in verse 25, she says, I know that Messiah comes who is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. She just, de not deferred, she delegated upstream, if you will, saying, I have no answer, but the Messiah has the answer. And Jesus honors that open door. And one of two times when he plainly told someone who he was, he says, I who speak to you am he. Now, what was her response? Right about that time, the disciples come back. Now they had, praise God, they had learned enough by watching and being with Jesus that they didn't ask, why are you talking to her? Or asking her, why are you here talking to him? They just looked on and marveled. And the woman saw their response to the conversation she was having with Jesus. And it was like an affirmation. It's like, this guy has impact on these 12 this has got to be the Messiah. And she runs back to Sychar. And what does she tell them about Jesus? What does she use as evidence to identify and testify who he is? Does she use the answer about where true worship happens or what it is? 
No, she goes back to that thing she was hiding from. And she says, come out and see this guy. He told me everything I ever did. And the unwritten implication there is her enthusiasm about being known was so clear that it made believers out of the leaders of Sychar before they ever even saw or heard Jesus. It says they believed on him. Many believed on him because of the word of her testimony. Here she says, he told me everything I ever did. And she's jubilant about it. What she had been hiding from, from the whole town of Sychar. They know she was the elusive woman who was skulking around the back alleys, living with some guy. Husband-to-be number six, perhaps. And here she is talking with the leaders of the city saying, Wow, come check this guy out. He just laid out my life history. And she's jubilant about it. Why? How? Because Jesus gave, he communicated value in the way that he looked at her, in the way he interacted with her, And he, in essence, said, I know who you are now, and I give you the utmost value nevertheless. And I know who you can be if you will give your life to me. And the leaders of the city were so moved, they went out to meet Jesus themselves. And they asked him to stay so that they could learn more. And he did for two days. And then the leaders said, we don't believe just because of your word, Lady of Sychar. We believe because we have heard him ourselves. And this is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He was not afraid to touch those who were not well viewed by society. He was not afraid to engage with those who were not viewed well by society. How did he do it? Because we are called to follow Jesus, to follow his example, to walk in his steps. That means we are to treat people as Jesus treated them, to reach them and rest assured. We have a society in identity crisis to the point that many are working so that their twisted identity is protected from any change, yet they change back and forth many times. Confusion reigns, and the Word of God has the answer for every confusion. There will be people we encounter in our circles of influence, even in our extended family, And they will be walking through the doors of the church looking for answers. How are you and I going to be ready for them? By God's grace, let's see how we can be ready. Let's look first. How did Jesus live this way? Well, consider this. In Philippians 2, 5 through 7, we're told that Jesus emptied himself, made himself of no reputation. He was not who we find recorded in the Gospels because he's God. He learned who he is. 
from reading the Old Testament. He learned who he was then, same as who he is now. And he learned who he was called to be. You remember in Luke 2 when he looked at the sacrifice at age 12 and says, that's why I'm here. And by age 30, he was prepared for his ministry to go forward. And how did he do that? He had no advantage over us. He lived by every word of God. We find that in Matthew 4.4 4 and in Luke 4.4. 4. And you look at, if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 22, the Pharisees, the Pharisees and the, Pharisees and the Sadducees did not like Jesus. They knew there was a problem brewing when in the temple at age 12, he had already mastered them at understanding scripture. And 18 years later, he bursts on the scene is like, uh-oh, this guy is running away with Israel. We have to do something. And so they've tried many means to trip him up and trap him in his words. And they bring this story about this woman who had seven brothers for a husband. And they say, how can the resurrection be possible? Who will, whose wife will this person be as all seven brothers had her for a husband? Or for a wife. And Jesus noticed his response in verse 29. He says, You do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. Let that sink in a minute. This not knowing the scriptures or the power of God. For in the resurrection they don't marry or are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard, they were astonished at his doctrine." Why were they astonished? Because he spoke as one having authority, unlike the scribes. You and I also have that ability. But we must have that ability in the way that Jesus did. He knew the scriptures intimately. We are to know the scriptures intimately because this is the standard. This is the guideline for every moment of life. And did Jesus really know it that well? What does it say in John 7? There was a challenge that people rendered. They, they recognized that Jesus knew the word of God. And they asked this question in John 7, 14 and 15. Jesus is speaking. He says here in verse 14, it's describing, it says, Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught, and the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never learned? He knows the word of God to the point where he doesn't even have to read it out of the scrolls. He just teaches it. And they're asking the question, How does this man know, having never gone to the rabbinical schools? That's why it says, how does he know letters having never learned? They assumed learning could only happen in the rabbinical schools. And Jesus knew the scriptures better than the rabbis, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. And they couldn't understand how he did that, how he understood the word of God. How did he understand 
the Word of God. Mark 1.35, Jesus lived by prayer. Mark 1.35 describes something that Jesus did regularly. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. He prayed regularly. And we find in Luke chapter 12, excuse me, Luke chapter 6, verse 12, where when Jesus was faced with some particularly big decisions, he prayed all night. Luke 6, 12, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And what was it that he was praying about that all-night prayer time? Verse 13, And when it was day, he called his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. A decision for future leadership in the church. He prays all night for the guidance of his Father through the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit because we can memorize the Bible. We can pray often. But if we are not guided by the Holy Spirit, we will not understand the Word of God. Let's look at Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus is coming up from the water, being baptized. And there in verse 1 of Luke 4, it says, Being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan as was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Do you know that Jesus lived the day for a year principle? Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness, gaining victory where Israel failed, gaining victory where Adam failed. And he comes back from that experience. And physically, it took its toll upon him. But in his mind, who he was never changed. Circumstances may change, but who we are never need change because God has given us our identity and we are able to be secure in Him. Now Luke 4.14, we see Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee and there went out a fame of Him through all the region about. And this is described later on by Luke, who penned the book of Acts. Acts 10.38 describes Jesus' life. It says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. What was the mindset that Jesus had? He knew the scriptures. He lived the scriptures. He prayed. What was the core tenet of his prayer? We find throughout the Gospels recorded, I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 6, 38 and 39 is one place you'll find that. It's repeated again and again. 
It's Jesus speaking what's on his mind. He lived to do the will of God. We are called to do the same. When we have the mindset of, Lord, what would you have me to do in every situation? When we are meditating on God's word as we go through our day, practically speaking, Enoch also modeled this. He worked all through his time, connected with God, working with others. And Jesus shows us in greater detail than we ever have about Enoch. Jesus being the perfect example, he shows us how to walk by faith, connected to God, guided by the Holy Spirit. And that's what we need, emptied of self, full of Christ in us, the hope of glory. The power to be like Jesus is found through prayer and time in his word to be guided and transformed into the mind and character of Jesus Christ. I see my identity clearly in him. And in that security, I can then reach out and touch others, engaging with them, both unafraid and undistracted by all the world's noise, because I know in Christ who I am and what he calls me to do and who he calls me to be. We need more than information. We need transformation. And the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, is working to do that. Will you and I receive the power to be today. Raise your hands if you want to receive the power to be like Jesus. Amen. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. And what will they be filled with? What Jesus was filled with, full of grace and truth, as this morning's text defines for us. Let's pray to dedicate our decision to, Lord, to the Lord. Father, you have seen our hands raised. You read our thoughts. You know the desires of our heart. And I pray that you will move upon each heart here, both those who are here personally and those within the sound of my voice, that you will move upon each heart to seek you in your word, to seek you in prayer, and to take hold of your strength, to seek to do your will, to test you, to trust you, and to see that you are faithful every time. You give us value, you give us purpose, and you give us family in you. You are preparing a room for us in your house. Make us worthy to occupy it in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the broadcast from the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church at 2420 East Ashman in Midland, Michigan. If you are in the area, we cordially invite you to visit our church Saturday mornings. If you are a distance away, we encourage you to continue visiting our website and weekly podcast at midlandsda.org.